Last time on the Kaiju Apostle Podcast. Proud to be an American. I hadn't even thought about Mothra because I don't think about her often unless I'm shipping. When it's lit, it's lit. And you know that this is it. I listen to it while I get fit. Thanks, Grandpa. There's a real gospel parallel there that the Son of God is the one who crushes the serpent. <laughs> ah! I hate you so much. Man, everything's starting to key lock into place as we talk, isn't it? Oh, Lord. He can't help you now. <laughs> All right. Thank you for joining us. Uh, we are the Kaiju Apostle Podcast. My name is David, and joining me is... I think it's Chris. <laughs> can't remember. I almost called you Kevin. I've just been watching too much Community, thinking about the <laughs> Kevin Chang dynamic. Um, and What's joining us, <laughs> and joining us is a very special guest. Uh, we we'll introduced see. him falsely last time, but joining us is Eric Neely from Monsters vs. Men. How are you doing, Eric? I am doing a okay. I've got the kids to bed, uh, ready to talk about some all monsters attack. <laughs> I think we're all ready for this. But uh, before we get too far, um, we just wanted to give a thank you to everyone who has been listening to the show. Um, here about a week ago, we hit 5,000 downloads, and that was awesome, um, especially for being the niche podcast we are. Uh, very, very thankful for all the support and encouragement and even constructive feedback that we've received thus far. Looking forward to uh, keeping this going, even when we get to the Heisei trilogy, or uh, sorry, the Heisei era. And uh yeah, so let's go ahead and just uh, get into the episode here. But, Eric. Yes. It is important that you tell the listeners about yourself because we do have people that don't know who you are. And we're doing our wife swap audition. So we're trying <laughs> to figure out which of you we want. <laughs> well, I was going to say a couple of weeks ago, you had on Alex, uh, my co host on Monsters vs. Men. Uh, today, I, I like to think I'm the brains of the operation. We'll call him the bronze of the operation. Uh, he would probably question that. He's he's the funnier of the two. He's the Godzilla fanboy. And I came into Godzilla kind of like Chris did, right? So I was completely new to Godzilla. I'd seen, I think, Godzilla 98 and Godzilla 2014, yes. and that was it. Uh, so I came in brand new. Uh, and at this point, I've seen all the Godzilla films most of them more than once, and I'm making my way through all of them again. We're, the Monsters vs. Men uh, podcast is currently in the Gamera series now. Chris, that will be your spinoff series once <laughs> yeah. the Kaiju Apostle is finished. <laughs> the I'm looking Apostle. forward to that. The Turtle Apostle. No, this is going to be an Apostle. I'm so sorry. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, no, we, so we just finished um, Super Monster. Super Monster will be released by the time this uh, episode is out. Uh, and I think it's one of it's one of my favorite episodes that we have done thus far. Uh, I know you all reviewed it. Uh, I still need to go back because I never seen it. I need to go back and listen to your all's review. And uh, I think I've I've influenced David a little bit in yeah. my review of Super Monster. Chris, I encourage you to take a listen. Maybe maybe you will bring your score, bring your evaluation of Super Monster, or as you like to call it, Space Woman, up just a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you listened to the show. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes uh, that's because I'm being funny. Sometimes because that's why I forget the actual name. 
I sometimes forget it too. I call it I call it space monster, super monster, super women. I, I blame it on you, Chris, one hundred percent. Oh, the thank camera you. clip show. <laughs> yeah. So, and I and I've said this to you, but again, I think watching that movie after Rise of Skywalker was just the worst decision we could have made. You know, because Chris and I were just like lamenting the fact that this this series is over, and it ended on that note. Yeah, you know, at least one of the movies treated its women well. Very yeah, true. <laughs> very true. Um, it's true. But yeah, I think actually by the time this episode comes out, you uh, you'll do the uh, the Showa. What are you? What are you naming this blowout? It'll be the Gamera Showa era showdown. So okay. Okay. yeah, we're getting back to the showdown, and then we'll have the Heisei hoedown. Just a good time all around. That's awesome. Can I ask why you're not calling it the Showa down? We should. <laughs> right. Because we never thought about it. Yeah. <laughs> because we didn't have Chris on the podcast. So. Yeah. <laughs> Just give me the link to your Patri- Patreon uh, bank account and we'll be fine. <laughs> Perfect. Yeah. And uh, I know we talked a little bit about it when Alex was on, but definitely uh, I've really enjoyed the extra content that you guys have done with NBM uh, Plus. 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 <laughs> um, <laughs> Not just because I'm going to be on the one coming up, but, yeah. you know, just having I, I really enjoyed the uh, the Ultraman one that you did with uh, Michael and Matt. That was a lot of fun. Yeah, I think we're going to release that one here in the next week or two, just as a bonus episode on the main feed. But it's, yeah, the top five Ultraman episodes, OG Ultraman 1966 episodes. Um, and that's a really fun kind of recap of the series. And we completely nerd out. If you want to know where I've come from, like, I came from zero kaiju uh, nerdum to complete Ultraman into everything nerdum in in the span of about a year's time. So I'm in it now, for better or for worse. <laughs> yeah, you've committed <laughs> quite frequently both. Yeah, but. <laughs> yeah. I think I think that one was my favorite just because Alex talks about butt rockets so much. Uh-huh. That's actually what's funny is. In finishing the series, that's one that Jasper talks about the most. Oh yeah, it's a funny episode. It's <laughs> yeah, hilarious. Yeah, he loves <laughs> so. No, that's a great episode. Chris, you're watching Ultraman, right? Uh, Ultraman Z right now. Yeah, nice. So it's nice. like it's a lot of fun. I have no idea what's going on. The, me, um, me neither, to be honest. I'm watching it. I don't know what's going on, and I've seen Ultra Q, Ultraman, and Ultra Seven. It cracks me up because the villains. <laughs> The villain, when he's clicking through on his version of the Z-Riser, goes, uh, weird space monster, uh, space villain, giant lizard. Yeah. And the announcer will say its actual name. Yeah. And I'm yeah. like, yeah, I get that. Yeah. <laughs> I get you. <laughs> yeah, true. True shit. Yeah, I was confused by the, what is it, Cerebro? How, what do they call it? Or Celebro or something like that? That reference today. It makes mm-hmm. it sound like that was a previous character. Um, yeah. No idea. Yeah. <laughs> Me neither. Yeah. But it's it's fun, and I'm having a good time with it. So yeah, yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, let's just jump right in. So we are discussing all monsters attack, or as it's uh, more affectionately titled, Godzilla's Revenge, which makes absolutely no sense. Uh, this movie was released in Japan on December twentieth, nineteen sixty nine. And Eric, nice. if you could go ahead and read the plot summary for us, sure. Ichiro was a boy who lived in Japan. Yes, he was a boy. He was not a big man. He was bullied over junk he found out in the grass. 
He refused to fight back lest he be kicked in the, well, you know. <laughs> At the end of the day, all he truly, care, truly cared about was having the parents to be around. However, this was 1960s Japan, when both parents worked so that they could move to new lands. Free of smog and pollution, which will lead to Hedora, but that's not for a few more episodes, Aura. Anyways, <laughs> when each, while Ichiro is imagining his time on Monster Island, with M Manila, Godzilla, and even a giant condor, he gets kidnapped by two bank robbers on the lam and has to think fast lest he be turned into diced ham. He uses the lessons he learns from his monster friends and the robbers go off to jail to make amends. But when Ichiro finally confronts his bully and gets his first win, is this what Honda wanted? A cycle of violence that never ends? Thanks, Eric. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy yeah that I was a great uh monsters versus men fashion right there written I by david the kaiju apostle himself i had I to it. after after doing that for alex i was like i can't deny you that <laughs> that was great um but staff wise so directed by of course ishiro honda uh we get shinichi sekizawa back on the script here um producing uh sorry produced by tomoyuki tanaka now, this is where we get it changed up a little bit. Uh, Eric, do you know who did the music for this? I don't. So I'm going to butcher it. So it's Kunio Mayauchi. Um, anyway, he's the guy that did the music for Ultra Q and Ultraman. Hmm. Nice. So realizing that as I went back and watched this movie, I was like, I could hear very, there's a lot of musical cues, which we'll get back to that. Mm -hmm. um, and then special effects. Uh, the credit was given to E.G. Subaraya, but we'll get back to that here in a minute as well. Um, so getting into context and trivia from Dave Klatt's book. So here's the thing. This episode has been discussed ad nauseum in the Godzilla fandom, both positively and negatively. So I really didn't want to, you know, keep repeating the same stuff that everyone's already discussed. So I didn't do a whole lot from these books uh, this time around, but I found it interesting that Dave Klatt says all monsters attack wouldn't have existed without the Gamera series, especially uh, Gamera versus Virus, due to an increasingly shrinking budget. Um, so this is a quote from uh, Shinichi Sekizawa. He said, Tanaka asked me, well, Mr. Sekizawa, can you write up a script based on bits and pieces of other films? Sekizawa remembers, you know, of course, Mr. Tanaka, that's what I do best. I am a good editor. So Toho looked at what Gamera had been doing with these films and were like, you know what? We don't have a lot of money, so what can we do? And they took a page from Gamera. So it's kind of one influenced the other, and now it's vice versa at this point, which I thought was pretty interesting. Um, and then Collette also says that, you know, Subarai gets the special effects nod, but Honda is the one that actually uh, directed all of the new scenes. Um, but Subarai, before his death, ended up helping Honda with the editing process. Um, getting into the biography though, what I found most interesting was the fact that the first draft of the script was turned in on September 17th, filming began October 11th, and it was released December 20th. That was an incredibly short amount of time, um, mm -hmm. especially to get a film like this. And then lastly, uh, according to the biography, there was a spat of child kidnappings and abductions in the 1960s. Uh, which also inspired Kurosawa's High and Low, which dealt with uh, child abduction. I think that was released in 1965. So I couldn't really find anything to get into that more, um, but I know they wouldn't have thrown that in the biography if they didn't actually have like some good sources for that. 
So I just thought it was interesting that there's other movies discussing that topic as well. It wasn't just a random plot point that they pulled mm-hmm. out of thin air. All right, so we're also going to go over the poll that we did. Um, so the question is, you wake up and find yourself transported to Monster Island. The first thing you see is Minya in all of his glory. So our question was, what would you do next? So the choices were to grab some drinks, which, uh, as we know from the history of the movies, they would be pretty like potent drinks, really. Mm-hmm. Um, I know, different island. Don't tweet at me. Uh, <laughs> next one is fight Gabra. Third is fight politics. And fourth was kill it with fire. So shockingly enough, uh, discuss politics actually came in second. But kill it with fire came last because we we stand Minya on this podcast. We do. And if our guests don't, <clears throat> Alex, we'll have words. <laughs> uh, second would be fight Gabra in third place. I mean, and then they would discuss the finer points of wearing masks with Minya. And then the number one and also most illegal choice was grab some drinks. So this is what I chose. Taking yeah. our child. Everyone assumed it was alcohol. I didn't say it was alcohol. I just said grab some drinks. Okay, but whenever I say let's grab some drinks, I'm not like, hey, let's go grab some Kool-Aid. I'm also ta- <laughs> I'm always talking about the adult. I'm pretty beverages. sure that's what Dave Koresh said. Hey, let's get some Kool-Aid. Yeah. Oh, oh man. <laughs> our, our viewers might need to see somebody about that. <laughs> when I watched this with Theo, uh rewatching it to kind of review for the podcast. Uh, his favorite moment in the entire thing is when Ichiro's pulled up from the pit, and who's at the top of the pit pulling him up? Minya. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and he he won. He just thought it was hilarious. One, I asked him, "Is Minya ugly or cute?" And he's like, "A little bit of both." <laughs> but I, I could tell. I could tell by his response that he also just wanted to grab a child-friendly drink with Minya. Mm. See, a little chocolate That's what I'm saying. <laughs> That's what yeah. I'm saying. I think it says more about our culture that we immediately assume that it's alcohol. That just needs means we need Jesus. That's <laughs> all I'm saying. Hey, hey. Uh, also, he would probably be like you if he was moist, right? Moist with the drinks you were grabbing together. <laughs> Chris had to get that in here. He had to if get I it don't in. put if I don't put moist minion <laughs> every episode, I've been I'm firing myself. So let's see. We we've talked about Minya shipping and Godzilla 1980, uh, 1998. So we've we've hit our our quota there. Oh well, my job here is done. <laughs> Not see, even Chris. twenty minutes in. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So Twitter discussion this time. Uh, we only did one. But uh, very, 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 very thankful for all the discussions that, uh, or I guess all the replies that we had. Um, So the question was, if Destroy All Monsters was meant to be the end of an era, all monsters attack is the beginning of another. However, by new and old fans alike, it is oftentimes labeled as a bad Godzilla film. So what does a Godzilla film mean to you? Is all monsters attack a good or bad G film? So I try to take a few opinions on the different ends of the spectrum right so jack or uh, g-man said it's a japanese film about japanese life and how difficult it was to grow up during that uh, that decade it's the most tender and truly honda movie of the series it's not a godzilla movie and that's its greatest strength i'm glad honda did something fresh for a change so we have one vote for not a godzilla movie um then we had gojira destructor said it's just kind of nothing to me it reads like somebody's self-insert fan fiction I get what they were going for, and I appreciate the effort, 
but I feel like Godzilla just doesn't work as a medium for that kind of theme. This probably would have worked better as an Ultraman story. Interesting reference there. Uh, ben Torres said, and, uh, sorry, Ben Torres said, undeniably it has a very compelling concept, but it fails in execution. A good concept alone doesn't make it a good film. Personally, I'd rather just have seen a film about a depressed child and his working mother. <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, Kyoto Kino said, it goes way above and beyond what was required of it, and I'm really glad to see it getting a general reappraisal by a good chunk of the fandom. So, I left that one last because I felt like that would be a good segue into our discussion. Just at first, thoughts on the movie itself. So, Chris, since this was your first time watching it, love to hear your thoughts. And then Eric, I know. Actually, I'll let you share your thoughts um, after Chris. Yeah, so I, I was a little surprised because I, th- I go in. I, this one, I only went in knowing Minya was in it based on a tweet that we put out with all the posters for the next couple of movies. Mm-hmm. And I was just doing the math. I was like, hey, this is the one with Minya. Uh, and then he spoke. And I was like, what <laughs> is going on here? Um, but actually, like, so I'm going to maybe frame my thoughts in the question that we just asked. Is it a good movie? And is it a good Godzilla movie? And we even just said Godzilla movie. So in terms of was it a good movie, I actually, like, kind of enjoyed it. Because I mentioned last week, like, I'm not watching these in any order. So if there's a better one that I could have watched sooner, that's not how I'm watching it. So I kind of like this change of pace. I like this different um, take on it. And I kind of would actually love to see more franchises do something like this. Take like a move. Like, there's 54 of these. (laughs) There's there's 54 of these. Like, if you don't like this one, just move on. But... (laughs) I just liked it. I I I thought it was uh, a little silly at times, a little campy, but come on, that's that's what I kind of want. Mm-hmm. As far as it a good Godzilla movie, it's like, eh, maybe not compared to like the last couple, but isn't kind of the isn't kind of the point that we've seen shifting the main monster means shifting the genre a little bit. Mm-hmm. Like Mothra shifted, the sh- not like a ton. It wasn't wholesale like this one, but Mothra feels like a different type of movie. Uh, the Gamera move, Gamera and the Super Woodman felt like a very different type. It was a superhero movie compared to the kaiju movies. Yeah. So I actually appreciate this. I appreciate the sensibilities of different monsters have different types of movies. So, and in terms of like, was it fun? It was like. Okay, what if Home Alone had kaiju in it? And I'm like, yeah, okay, I'm down. <laughs> it's actually pretty accurate. <laughs> well, it's, it's interesting that you brought up Mothra, though, because I know you haven't seen that yet, Eric. But, no, you know, you, you have this, this change between Rodan and going into Mothra. And then right after that, the next movie is King Kong vs. Godzilla, right? So going from... You know, Godzilla raids again, Rodan that are more serious, and then Mothra has more of that brevity and humor. Then all of a sudden we have the first Godzilla film that actually, you know, I would argue is humorous. It's more satirical. And there's a reason for that, right? So I don't think you're wrong in saying that, you know, there's nothing wrong with having these shifts because there's always been shifts down the road. It's not like we've been getting the same movie over and over. Yeah. Which, thank God for that. But also... I, it was just kind of nice, like, this one kind of committed to a shift in the audience, it felt like. Mm-hmm. 
not. I mean, when I watched it, that's what I felt. I don't know about reality, but it was kind of nice for it to just say, hey, this is this is a kid child actor. This is the kid kaiju. Like, we're going to lean into that a lot more. And actually, I thought it worked a lot better. Yeah. So what about you, Eric? I know you guys were pretty hard on it yeah. when you when you discussed it on your show. But obviously, you didn't have that nostalgia or I don't know. It's it's I'm curious to see how your opinion has changed over the past few months. Well, yeah, we were really hard on it. Alex, even more so than I was whenever we reviewed it on our podcast. And I think part of that also comes down to the fact that we're watching these movies one week after the next. Mm-hmm. And so whenever we just recognize the footage from the past three films right off the bat, it, it takes us a little bit out of the film. And I think that's done creatively, actually, uh, if you're taking a look at the narrative of the story. But it still feels a little cheap and a little hollow coming off those three films. Mm-hmm. Um, I like what what Jack or G-Man said that he's he wouldn't necessarily call this a Godzilla film. I don't know if I'm all the way there. Uh, I still think I'd call it a Godzilla film. But what, where I think it succeeds the, the most is actually in its non-Godzilla moments. In the quiet and tender moments um, between mother and son, uh, mm-hmm. at the beginning of the film, the cinematography of the Tokyo cityscape is really quite stunning. And then you have that portrait of this little group of, of children uh, and juxtapose that with the huge city, the, the smog. Some people have called this a critique of capitalism. And, and I think Preach. that's, that's an interesting idea. And it's definitely showcases something about the socioeconomics of the time, whether or not you want to get into like the capitalistic criticism, maybe, but it definitely shows what happens to kids in certain socioeconomic times, especially it seems like this was a pretty prevalent issue in Japan in the 60s with the latchkey kids. And I'm sure, David, you could uh, inform us more about the latchkey kids uh, issue in the 60s. Yeah. And we'll get into that here in the the next section. Um, But I, I think you're right is it's really it's this is the movie where no one is going to be like my favorite part were the monster fights, right? You yeah. just, you don't say that. Even though I will say I love, I think one of my favorite parts of the movie is when Minya drops down and grows in size, which again, reminds me of now Ultra <laughs> 7, right? Um, yeah. And then launches Gabra up in the air. And then they're like thinking, oh yeah, we beat him and he gets up and bites Godzilla. Like those scenes were actually a lot of fun. Um, again, just reminds me of Ultra 7, uh, Ultraman, Ultra 7. But Ultimately, it's the scenes with Ichiro and uh, uh, Shinpei, right? Those were some of my favorite scenes in the whole film. Um, even just the small moments where he's going to the bar and he finds the cops, right? And they're like, yeah, we're just taking a break, but we're going to keep searching. Like, they're, especially in today's climate, it was, it was refreshing <laughs> to see cops not portrayed as, you know, what we are used to. Yeah, um, yeah totally. So here, here's my question then is with the stock footage usage, and with the fact that you guys just discussed uh, Gamera Super Monster, which film do you feel like uses the stock footage more effectively? So I actually, I actually think it's it's a little bit. Uh, this is good cop outs. It, it's going to sound like a cop out, but I think it's it's pretty close um, mm-hmm. because they both use it within the frame of their narrative. Um, here, you know, you've get you get that imaginative monster island. So this 
And and Chris, I don't know, like I didn't pick it up until a little bit into the film the first time watching it. But the reason people like Jack say this isn't even a Godzilla film is because Godzilla may not exist in in this universe that Ichiro lives in, like as a Mm. real monster. It may just be uh, Ichiro is just a fan of the Godzilla franchise, kind of like we are. Right. And that's the angle I really like to take with this film. Um, Now with super monster that it kind of actually plays the same way, honestly. Like I think you can make an argument that some of, of what's happening in super monster is actually happening in Kichi, the child protagonist in that film's kind of mind and imagination. It's a little bit less explicit, but Mm. the director, um, you also actually, weaves the stock footage into the narrative even more so than all monsters attack to be fair um but i will say both of them you can you can rag on the stock footage all you want but they chose good moments of stock footage like they chose the highlights of the previous films uh to bring into this film so honestly to me it's it's right right there at the same level yeah and that and that's actually what i expected you to say because um, I, I agree now that I've thought about it more, I still think Super Monster isn't shot as well. Um, I don't enjoy the plot as much. But I think when you look at it as a, hey, I mean, it actually would take a lot of effort to come up with a plot and integrate all that stuff. I just think the worst part was the Giron element. I know you guys discuss that where it's like all of a sudden you just <laughs> fly to because I even argued that Giron isn't even a bad monster, right? He's no. being controlled. You know, he's just defending his territory. He's a big dog. And then all of a sudden, that just this movie reinforces that you know he's not doing anything. Gamera just flies to the planet, kills him, and then flies back. That that's the worst use. That's the worst yeah. use of stock so footage bad. between between the two films. And I think you're right. Like where I rate all monsters attack is in its cinematography. Um, I I think the characters are just are super lovable and super mm-hmm. monster. Like mm-hmm. really, like if you give them the chance, I I just think uh, the the space women are are my some of my favorite characters of the, the Gamera Showa series. But with this film, you, you got to say the characters here are strong as well. Uh, you, you mentioned um, the, the toy maker. Shimpe, yeah. What a character. And like, I, I, I love him as a protector, as someone that can relate to children. It reminded me a lot of Gamera. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, and it's such an interesting contrast to his character in uh, King Kong Escapes, too. You know, he goes from this villainous Doctor Who to all of a sudden now he's a lovable toy maker, right? And to me, I've I've grown to really like his roles more and more where he's becoming one of my favorites. Uh, And then obviously we have, you know, Kenji Sahara. So obviously I'm not going to complain about that. (laughs) Um, But yeah, I mean, what I really like about this movie is the fact, again, I've, I've mentioned it numerous times. Now that I've watched Ultraman, like the influence is just there all over the ways that the bullies show up, like they just pop up and you have the the, the quick cuts. That mm-hmm. reminds me of Ultraman, right? Mm-hmm. So the plane scene where everyone starts fading away and the way like it's even the music going on and the kind of more psychedelic effects, that reminded me. But I think the biggest part was actually when Ichiro is standing there and the big plant monster comes and grabs him. Like that just screamed Ultra Q to me. Another, another one is, you know, whenever some of the fight scenes, mm-hmm. um, how the camera stops and just yeah. captures a still and then it and it moves and it captures another still. That's a very uh, ultra Q Ultraman thing to do. And that's inspired 
Uh, we were talking a little bit about this, David. That's really inspired by kind of French new wave filmmaking, mm-hmm. which if you look at some of those Ultra Q episodes, seem heavily influenced by the French new wave movement. So they're doing experimental things with the camera. Uh, they're using that kind of that pop 60s music that we see in, in this film. And I, I, I love it, too. Um, so I, I think that's that's really some of the charm of this movie is in the experimental filmmaking aspects. I don't know if if all of it works, but most of it does. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, that's the thing is, you know, we go back to that comment before where, you know, it fails in execution. I mean, of course, it's not perfect, but I wouldn't say it fails by any means. I just think this is where it's really important to have that conversation of what are we expecting from these films? And is it fair to expect something from a movie it's not willing to give, right? Mm. So if I go to, I'm trying to think of a relevant movie, but I can't really think of anything. So like Shaun of the Dead, right? It's, it's, a, it's a good comedy, but I would never expect it to actually have any deep critique of any sociological elements, right? I just, I wouldn't. That's not why I'm going to that movie. Now, if it has anything to say, that's great. But obviously, I'm going to treat that different than I would, you know, we discuss it like there will be blood. Like even just the director itself, there's going to be a certain standard of that movie where you're going to go to that and you're going to ask something or a Coen Brothers film, right? Mm-hmm. So when you watch All Monsters Attack, you know, you're asking yourself, like, if I'm upset or if I don't like this movie, is it because the movie itself or is it because what I've grown to expect from a Godzilla film? So do you guys feel like that's fair? I think so. Um, I think it's... If if the franchise is going to tell you we have a lot of questions, we have a lot of things that we want to talk about, and then it decides on one that we're not, that's its decision. It's allowed to do that. But I think, like, it's not unfair to think it was going to go along the same way the others did before it. Yeah. Yeah, I I think... See, you're asking kind of two things here. One... Like, if you go in with a certain expectation as to what a Godzilla movie is, does does this meet that expectation? Yes or no? Yes and no. Do, do you go into this movie with an expectation that you're going to, like, t- take away a meaningful theme and lesson like you would in a Coen Brothers film? It's going to make you think a lot whenever you go home and you're laying in bed at night? Well... <laughs> Actually, you might, but but <laughs> whether it does it coherently, that that may be another question that we we can yeah. dive into, um, because yeah. I think there are are some issues here about the overall message being portrayed that that we can get into, and some issues that it may be fair to cr- critique this film for, some issues that it may not, um, and we'll get into it. I'm sure. Yeah, hmm. yeah. I just think the big thing is, you know, I. If someone doesn't like it, yeah, that's that's a completely valid opinion. I think we've established on our show that, you know, like what you like, there's there's nothing wrong with that. The issue is, again, I think when you try to expect something from a movie that it's not willing to do. Because at this point, I think it's established that there is no typical formula for a Godzilla movie, right? Mm-hmm. So whether it's, you know... I, Ghidorah the Three-Headed Monster going into Invasion of Astro Monster, right? There's a very drastic shift there. Um, or going into, you know, now all of a sudden now we're in Ebera, right? And Son of Godzilla. We've already seen changes there. And there's nothing wrong with that. But I think that's just where that importance of understanding every film is going to have a unique message. 
Um, and, it's, and Eric, as you know, you know, our next Godzilla movie is going to be Godzilla vs. Hedera. So mm. that's obviously going to be a, a very big shift for Chris here because I know he's not going to expect any of this. Um, no. I really can't. I really can't wait for that one. <laughs> if, you, if you thought this was experimental, yeah. that's, wait till the next. I'm yeah. down. I'm yeah. down. <laughs> so, but uh, yeah, so let's actually get into the themes here. So really the thing that, Again, so I think we've talked about this movie has been discussed ad nauseum. So this is going to be the part that's probably a little bit more, you know, it's already been discussed. Um, but the idea of the life at home for Itro, right? So this idea of being a latchkey kid. Um, in Japanese, I think it's uh, pronounced uh, kagiko. So it's K-A-G-I-K-K-O. Um, but just this idea that at the time, um, parents were struggling enough or wanting to get to a certain economic point in their lives that they both would work in order to provide for their family. You know, not necessarily uncommon to what we see now, but at this point, you know, you're seeing kids putting themselves to bed, pretty much kids raising themselves, right? So, you know, mm -hmm. or the community kind of being a little bit more active as we saw with Shinpei. Um, but, you know, we, we see that this is a pretty normal thing for Ichiro when, you know, he, he's excited to see his dad you know, on the train, right? I think Dave Klatt brings up, or it was in the biography, you know, you never see Ichiro with his dad close. There's always some distance between them. Um, and I obviously, I, I really believe that's an intentional thing there. But when Ichiro finds out that his mom's not going to be home, you know, he's used to this, but it doesn't make the sting any less, right? Mm -hmm. He's very upset by that. I mean, I don't know of any kid, unless their parents are abusive, like I don't know of any kids that wouldn't want their parents to come home. But for the parents, you know, they're wanting to give Ichiro a better life. You know, they, they don't want Ichiro to suffer, but they don't see a way to get that better life without both working. Um, so something I've been thinking about as someone that, you know, when... So my dad was in the Air Force for a while, and then my mom worked, you know, pretty long hours too. So the times where my dad would be stationed, like... Uh, at one point, he was in Greenland. Um, he's He's been all over. But there would be times where he'd be gone for a year, and then my mom would work till 7, 8 o'clock at night, right? So there'd be nights where I'd put myself to bed. Mm -hmm. I hated that. I mean, sure, it was cool to stay up and play GameCube and all that, but like I would have rather spent time with my family. And I don't think it's as drastic as what we're seeing here. But the thing is, I mean, you're wanting this better life for your kid, but you're not going to get those years back. Right. So you're spending all that time and, you know, yeah, you're making money. You want to go and not worry about the pollution and everything else. But you, you kind of have to. This is where I think that critique of capitalism does come into play. You know, at the end of all this, are you going to say that it was worth it? You know, mm -hmm. sure, you're in a better part of the community. Sure. You know, you've got money, but, you know. That's. Isn't time with your kid more important, but again, it's easy to be anachronistic with this movie though, because 2020 is a lot different than 1969. Yeah. So how did you guys feel about that element of the film? I like it. It's that critique of capitalism, but as a parent, I don't totally, doesn't totally ring with me. So what do you mean by that? Like, um, I mean, growing up, my parents were at work when I was at school, so they were mostly home. Um, Mm -hmm. And so I'm working a lot to like support myself, but I don't have kids at home to not 
be with. So I don't know what the tension is to be like, hey, I want a better future for them, but I can't spend the right now with them. Um, so on this particular aspect, I don't. Yeah. Which is fair. A lot of people don't have that experience, which is good. Yeah, right. Yeah, I think Honda is critiquing that experience and the situation that has put parents into that situation. Mm -hmm. I don't think the parents are really being criticized um, Mm -hmm. because you get moments of sympathy with both parents. You know, you have the mother who has that really tender moment where she realizes um, what she's doing to Ichiro um, the day after his big escape from the robbers. Um, she realizes what what's going on and the sad situation that they're in. And, mm-hmm. the, you know, the dad wants that relationship. And you see that at the end, you know, he's willing to cover for Ichiro. It may not be the best to cover for Ichiro in that situation, but you can see that playing out. Like the dad doesn't know what else to do. Like that's his show of love, I think, mm-hmm. to Ichiro. Um, mm-hmm. But I think for me, kind of what that leads into then is why does Honda want to make this film this way and to me like this this feels like a and and this may be reading too much into it but this feels like um honda's (laughs) honda's we don't do that on the show no never never (laughs) neither in ours we never read too much into things no but it feels like honda's um i'm gonna butcher the french term here but it's raison d'etre right which is like his reason for existence of like his film filmography so why why keep making monster movies? Why keep making Godzilla films over and over and over again? Where's Honda's sense of purpose in providing even these just some of them destroy all monsters? You guys said last week, there's not much of a message you can take from that. So why keep on making these monster films? Well, they are an escape. They are an imaginative outlet. And that's what we see with Ichiro. Ichiro, whenever he faces tough times and, and conflict, where does he go? He goes to Monster Island in his imagination. What helps him get out of the situation with the robbers? It's reflecting upon his own uh, imagination with Monster Island to come up with creative solutions to get out of that situation. That's mm-hmm. what helps him through that hardship. So I think in, in kind of this indirect way, Honda's saying, like, here's what I'm offering. Like, I'm offering an escape. And that's okay. Sometimes I don't always have a heavy handed message like in Godzilla 1954 or Mothra versus Godzilla. Sometimes you just need an escape from these socioeconomic conditions that are happening right now. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I I don't think you're reading into that at all. I mean, or reading into it too much. I think that's absolutely accurate because so I don't know how it is where you're at, Eric, but at least here in in the Kansas City Midwest area, it's it's a common trope to insult people on benefits, right? Or, you know, whether it's food stamps and all that stuff. You know, so for myself, like we had to apply, oh God, I can't remember, it's Medicaid. Which, what's the, the meta what for families? Is it Medicaid, <laughs> Medicare? I don't remember. We, we actually have the, the insurance, um, the provider now. But anyway, so, you know, we had to apply for that with Harlow. Right. I've never been at a point in my life where I've had to apply for government assistance for anything. It was a very humbling moment, but that's what happened when I was furloughed from my job and, you know, everything else. Like, 
I, I didn't ask for that, but that's just kind of the the culture we're in. So we don't think about with food stamps and government assistance. You know, we're living in a society that a lot of these people didn't ask for any of that, but they're just trying to succeed and they're trying to succeed in the system that was created before they were ever even born. A system mm -hmm. that doesn't care about them at all and will happily let them die because it's a system. It, yeah. it has no... That's just how it operates, right? It's operated off of gain and and profit. So when I look at Ichiro's parents, I mean, yeah, I don't think they chose that lifestyle in the sense of they want to not be with their kid, but for them to have the life that they feel like they need, they're trapped in that. And that's the decision that they made is, well, they want a better life or cleaner air and, you know, probably a little bit less busy. So yeah, all that said, I mean, I just, I can't fault them because they're just, they're stuck in the same system that a lot of us are in. And they're just trying to provide for Ichiro. But it's hard because you do have to make that decision. You mm -hmm. know, when Mallory and I decided that she was going to stay at home with Jasper and now Harlow, we took a huge cut financially. And it's been really hard for us doing that. But that was just a decision we had to make is like, well, do we want to make more money, but then spend less time with our kids? Right. You know, I, I have to miss out on time with them, but she doesn't. So that was mm -hmm. the decision we had to make. <clears throat> and I kind of want to go back to this idea about like um, escapism and the imagination, because mm -hmm. I'm getting this real like Richard Hayes conversion of the imagination feel from that. So the central thesis in this book is that Paul preaches to Gentile communities using the Old Testament, like using these stories to shape their identity, to shape their imagination and the way they think about themselves and the world around them. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of the same thing we're seeing here is like, you know, after a hand, almost a dozen Godzilla films, our imagination has been changed. Our way of thinking has been changed. So even if every single every single movie doesn't have something to offer, it's like this whole collective weight of all of them together has given us a different kind of framework, a different world to exist in. So like all all together as a force, we see um, Ichiro now like he has the stock footage, but he also like comes up with his own ideas based on what he thinks they're going to do. Mm -hmm. So it's also like N.T. Wright talking about the human history being a five part drama. We're in the fourth act where we don't have the script. We just have the first three acts. So now we're kind of going forward with the wisdom of the people before us and the stories we've inherited. And now we're crafting a new future out of that based on what we know about them and what we think about them, what they think they would do. And from that, we come across as like, maybe not better, maybe not perfect, but like less imperfect than we were before. And we're given new cognitive skills to like remap the world we live in to kind of see that like what I see right here isn't it. There's something else going on that like shifts our imagination to like give us a better, like more hopeful view of the world that says my situation isn't like forever. It's not ultimate. There's other stories and narratives going on that can help me escape from this, whether it's materially or right now it's like spiritually. So, yeah, absolutely. And I, I think that's something we've talked about before, too, where, you know, escapism in itself is only natural. Right. Mm -hmm. I mean, God, I daydream all the time. But obviously the danger, of course, and this is where we'll get into the next section here in a minute is how can you take it too far? Right. If you're just watching these, like, <laughs> is a Godzilla movie the proper place to take and learn 
ethics and moral responsibility, right? And, and that's nothing against Honda, but he's also a human being too, you know? So do I agree with every message he has in a movie? Yeah, absolutely not. So I think, you know, at a certain point with the escapism, like, of course, it's fine to watch Godzilla movies and kind of turn your brain off and get away from the world. But at a certain point, if you don't come back to the world, you know, then you're stuck. You know, mm-hmm. that's not healthy either. Yeah, it, it comes down a little bit, though, to, to that quote at the end um, by Shinpei, the toy maker. And and uh, I knew you were going to say this quote. <laughs> I, 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 I actually don't remember the exact quote, but. He says something along the lines of, well, it's, it's different actually in the English and the Japanese version. In the English dub, he says, you know, a, something like adults have our heroes. Why can't kids have their monsters? And in the subs version, it says adults have their gods. Why can't kids mm. have their monsters? And, mm-hmm. and so I asked uh, a friend of mine who speaks Japanese what that term was. Um, and she said that term, is it heroes or gods? I was like, because that makes a difference, honestly, in what Honda is trying to say. And that term is kami, which mm-hmm. means spirit or deity. Yep. It's it's not necessarily religious. So I don't think Honda here is being like, you know, adults have their religion. Um, so And so why can't kids have their uh, monsters, their playthings? I think, you know, what he's saying is we all have these avenues of escape. Why can't kids have... Uh, avenues of escape that are Godzilla or heck we're adults. Why can't we have Godzilla as an escape <laughs> from time to time? Right. And I, I just love that line because I think it really captures the essence of what's happening in this film. And mm-hmm. honestly, it captures a little bit of the essence of the entire franchise and the entire series, in my opinion. Yeah. It's funny that the word is comic because that just makes me think of Dragon Ball. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I was thinking the same thing. He's the guardian of the earth, but yeah. not necessarily deity. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But, yeah, um, I, oh gosh, that sentence, that sentence is really good. It reminds me of the English dub that says adults have their corns. Why can't kids have their monsters? God. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> so I, I think we all can agree that Ichiro has a very unique home lifestyle Mm-hmm. And that's that's really going to influence the next part of our discussion, which is the bullying element, mm-hmm. which this is a part I think that gets discussed more than anything is mm-hmm. you have people who will say it's a anti-bully PSA. And then you'll also have people that say it does not promote a positive view in bullying because Ichiro himself becomes a bully. Um, so before we really get into the fact that, you know, or the discussion of whether it handles that topic well, I think something to keep in mind is in the 80s, uh, Toho had a video cassette collection called SPFX, and it took a bunch of these sci-fi films and edited them, well, uh, Honda actually edited them down into 10-minute versions, okay? So what's interesting is in this 10-minute edit, it ends with Itro leaving and the mom crying. Mm-hmm. Which I still personally would think that would be a better ending to the film. Like, even though you wouldn't get the Shinpei quote and all that, I feel like, I don't know. I, I, I really would have, I would love to see a version of it that ends that way. Um, but how do you guys feel about the topic of bullying? Do you think it was an effective argument for, like, 
standing up for yourself or do you feel like it kind of gets into this you're becoming what you hate idea? I thought you were going to say an effective argument for bullying. Well, I mean, <laughs> it's like, no. I like, to hear, I like to hear Chris's thoughts first. <laughs> um, yeah, in terms of like... Um, did it communicate the message that bullying is bad even without this extra scene? I think, I think totally like even in, it does kind of make, it does even cast aspersions on the idea of self-defense as the means by which you can escape bullying. And I think especially now, since I've only heard this thought like 50 minutes ago, like trying to integrate this thought of a critique of capitalism within the critique of bullying, like, um, thinking about kids' home lives and the economic impact on their upbringing. Like, maybe there is, like, a underlying theme of anti-bullying, but, like, out of being brought into a better situation. Because as it stands, when he tries to defend himself, he just becomes that, which he, you know, he's a bully himself. And, like, I know we're going to probably have some people who totally think, like, if you're, if you're getting beat up, beat him up back. But... Um, you may not be a bully per se, but it is, I mean, it's the same cycles of violence, whether or not it's the same, like intent, Mm -hmm. like you're still participating in that same. So maybe this film does have this kind of latent view of like, take them both up out of their economic structures and maybe there'd be a reconciliation that way. But as it stands, the poor kid, like, I, he has no recourse. He can continue to get picked on or he can push back because society hasn't given him a better place to respond. Yeah. I, I think it's, I think it's a really complicated issue actually. And so I don't, I don't want to paint a picture. Like I have a black and white answer to this at all. Um, because on, on the one hand, I do think the message is hurt by Ichiro basically becoming a bully at the end, honking the horn of the painter, right? And really his dad kind of protecting him from punishment, right? And shielding him from punishment. Ichiro's mm-hmm. not going to learn a lesson there. But that does add some complexity to once again, this criticism of capitalism that we've been talking about. Yeah, like this is just what happens um, in this sort of society. However, you also have to think about, well, what is the intended audience of this film? Is the intended audience adults who want to critique capitalism and you want this uh, complex thematic message? Or is the audience children, right? Mm-hmm. Is it people like, uh, is it kids like Jasper, like my son, Theo, who when watching this film, I, I asked Theo at the end, I was like, what do you, what do you think about that? And he's like, oh, that was funny. You know, because it it was funny, right? It was funny, but it was also kind of cruel, right? But he, he, he didn't really, he didn't bring that up. I was like, he didn't Mm -hmm. think that was me. He's like, it was funny. (laughs) (laughs) Now, again, maybe not being in that context, um, it's it's hard for me to critique it too much, Mm -hmm. but I do think there are some layers there that you have to at least recognize and, and grapple with if you're going to just accept the message of this film. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I will say when we watch Godzilla movies or even Ultraman shows, you know, I, I try to have a conversation with Jasper where, you know, if we see someone being violent, you know, talking about how that's not a proper choice. Right. Um, 
proper. Who am I? So, <laughs> you know, we, we try to have those conversations. So when we watch All Monsters Attack, I almost call it Godzilla's Revenge, you know, he, he knows that that's not a good decision, right? So he knew it was wrong for the bullies to pick on Ichiro, and he mm-hmm. knew that it was wrong for Ichiro to do that back. But that's just because, I mean, we've had this conversation now for almost a year, whether it's Star Wars, Godzilla, anything, you know, we're, we're talking about that. But you're right. I mean, because this debuted, I think they presented it at a Champions Festival. So this would have been kids left to watch this movie. Now, granted, at some point, adults probably would have been watching it with them, too. But you're probably going to have a lot of kids that wouldn't have an adult talk them through that scene. So they're kind of left on their own, like Ichiro, to figure this out. So, you know, some, some questions I have for us to discuss is... You know, I don't really think it's 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 fair to blame Ichiro for doing what he's done, you know, because we've already talked about the socioeconomic situations here. So isn't society to blame for the fact of putting that pressure on his parents to leave him alone and having to learn these lessons alone at such a young age? Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, let's be honest, if the mom would have been there, he wouldn't have been kidnapped like he wouldn't have been, you know, like there's all these different elements that lead up to the fact that he was put in this position because of the pressures put on his family. Mm-hmm. So I, I can't really expect a child to act any other way. Like, how long does a kid have to be bullied before he finally fights back without having some kind of catalyst to shift that dynamic, right? Mm-hmm. I'm not going to expect a kid his age, you know, especially in 1969 Japan, you know, where all of a sudden now he's going to start quoting, you know, you know, you have heard it was eye for an eye, but I tell you to turn the other cheek, right? He's not just going to pull that out of thin air. But, you know, something I found really interesting, though, is watching this, you know, because you're talking about Itro's dad stepping in for him, right? This is actually what we see with Godzilla and Minya, too. Because, you know, Minya is concerned about Godzilla thinking he's a coward, right? And Itro's dad even says, I wish my son was more assertive. So in a way, I think that's why Ichiro does fight the bully and scares the painter because I think he wants to impress his dad. I think when we see Menya wanting to impress Godzilla, that's really just him projecting his own, I'm not good enough for my dad and I need to learn how to fight my own battles, right? Mm-hmm. So it's this desire for affirmation. But what's really interesting is that he didn't learn to fight his own battles because he's running off, hey, can you apologize for me? Because he realizes it's wrong. He gets caught up Mm -hmm. in the moment and he's like, I should not have done that. So dad, can you fix this for me? Mm -hmm. And that's such a pure moment to me of like, my son does very similar things. He does something Mm -hmm. wrong and he wants help to fix it because he doesn't want to do it himself. That's Mm -hmm. just a natural thing. So I don't know how you guys felt. Like, do you think, do you really think he is becoming a bully or do you think it's just kind of you know we've talked about this the cycle of violence right this myth of redemptive violence as walter wink would put it so do you feel like it's accurate to say that he's become a bully or i don't know i'm curious to see how how you think yeah i mean this goes back to kind of what can we expect from a godzilla film can we expect Mm -hmm. our own philosophies our own ethics (laughs) to be put into a Godzilla film, I don't think we can expect Honda to necessarily uh, give us a message about the myth of redemptive violence and all monsters mm-hmm. attack. Um, but there would have been a great opportunity for it, right? Mm-hmm. Because Ichiro is someone that is so imaginative, 
he's someone that can think of that third way solution. And I know uh, David is a Walter Wink fan. So I brought in a Walter Wink quote for David. And I have one pulled up if you didn't. <laughs> <laughs> I've got one. I've got one for you. And and you brought up, you know, each row is not going to say turn the other cheek. But I think turn the other cheek is often misunderstood. And, and here's something that Walter Wink, theologian, says about that exact phrase. Turn the other cheek is not intended as a legal requirement to be applied woodenly in every situation, but as the impetus for discovering creative alternatives that transcend the only two that we are conditioned to receive submission or violence, flight mm-hmm. or fight, mm-hmm. right? And it's that third way, turn the other cheek, where you're, you're what appears like submissiveness at times is actually a creative solution to upend the power structures. And Ichiro being such a creative boy, and they talk about, well, obviously we see him being creative in his monster island imaginings. But his father talks about how creative he is at the beginning of the film, how he's always in his head, right? It would have been an awesome opportunity for a creative solution uh, to kind of confront the bullies. But again, how much can I expect Honda to give us that in All Monsters Attack? I'm not sure, but it does seem like it would have been an awesome opportunity. Yeah. Absolutely. And we talked about it. I don't remember which episode was it. Was it Destroy All Monsters when we talked about the uh, the nude protester up in Portland? Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, that in itself is a, a demonstration of the third way, right? So it's yeah. like, hey, we see violence and what do you do? You do something completely out of left field, you know, because with Walter Wink, he talks about the myth of redemptive violence. And he says, it's the story of the victory of order over chaos by means of violence. It is the ideology of conquest, the original religion of the status quo, peace through war, security through strength. These are the core convictions that arise from this ancient historical religion, and they form the solid bedrock on which the domination system is founded in every society. And I just think it's, you know, we choose, you know, even in capitalism, right? You see someone that is your threat, your rival as a business, what do you do? You buy them out. That in itself is violence because all of a sudden now you're, you're more threatened by the existence of another company instead of being able to peacefully coexist. Maybe you could find a way to become partners. Maybe you could find a way to help strengthen each other. Um, mm-hmm. Even in churches, you know, we, we see churches that are on the same street and none of them are working together, right? They're just finding ways to, you know, the pastor will critique the other or whatever. It's all these little small microaggressions that show that violence in itself is just ingrained into our psyche where we would rather fight than make peace, you mm-hmm. know? Yeah, and that's why I'm okay with with how the film ends from an adult perspective. Mm-hmm. Because once again, it leaves, it's, it's haunting a little bit. You know, the last frame of the film, the last shot of the film harkens back to the beginning of the film. We see Ichiro with his, he, he has become part of this gang that was against yeah. him at the beginning. He's become part of it, but guess what? It doesn't really matter because what's the backdrop of them walking away? It's this huge city. It's the mm-hmm. smog, right? Uh, the thing that that mm. started the film is the thing that ends the film. The kids against the backdrop of the city alone with no parents mm. and adults in sight, right? So as an, from an adult perspective, I think it's really complex and interesting. It is something that will keep me up thinking about it at night, actually. But from a kid's perspective, and I don't want to dumb down a children's film, but from a children's perspective, 
this is something that I think could be easily confused. And I do think you have to to look at it um, and critique it a little bit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, because we talked about that where, you know, there... You say it's a kid's, or you know, we're calling it a kids' movie, right? I would say maybe it's a family movie where you know, freaking trolls. You know, that's a kids' movie. No, yeah. uh, there's there's True. very clearly kids' movies like, uh, God, what's it? The the Leapfrog shows and movies and stuff like that. Like, mm-hmm. yeah, that's specifically for a kid. But we talk mm-hmm. about Miyazaki and Ghibli. Like, those yeah. are family films that are geared towards kids on a certain point. But even movies like Kiki's Delivery Service, like that is a deeper movie yeah. than the majority of what I watched as a young adult, you know, right. and I watched this quote unquote cartoon. I'm sitting there and I'm like, Oh man, I can relate to a lot of this. Right. My son's just sitting there loving it. But I think you're right. As a, if you view it in a kid's perspective, you kind of wonder what message it's conveying about that. Cause it's very clear that the bullying is not a good thing. But mm-hmm. if you don't have an adult walking you through that, you might get the impression that, well, you know, if you have someone bullying you, you fight back without the discussion of, well, guess what? That bully, chances are it was bullied too. Mm-hmm. You know, there, you don't become a bully in a vacuum, right? There's, there's stuff at home, there's stuff at school, you know, church, whatever, that leads to people wanting to hurt others. And that's the kind of thing that is that appropriate for Godzilla movie of you know of this caliber and budget maybe maybe not but yeah I I think as an adult you can read that into there as a kid you miss a lot yeah well and I think too there's two things that are kind of connected to some of this um but I won't explicitly draw because I've lost some of it but thinking about like Minya's own upbringing when Godzilla just kind of discovers him and then like kind of beats him um, we talked about that a little bit. Like, yeah, Minya has no other recourse for dealing with life because that's what Godzilla taught him. And even if this isn't like real Minya, like whatever that means, like you can see the cycles in Minya's own life in Ichiro's mind. But also now I'm kind of thinking about another wink quote where he talks about like the success of violence is that it while it is mythic, it feels like it's part of a nature. Like, it feels like you have to adhere to violence. It feels like you have to um, pay homage to it. But there's no one there to teach him that violence doesn't Mm -hmm. need to exist. No one's there to teach him that way out. Um, And unfortunately, the people who are teaching him are the monsters, are the kaiju who say, no, 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 my baby has to learn atomic breath or I'm going to keep stepping on him. So you could even... I think maybe the film doesn't, but we might say now that there is imagination changers. There are worldview. There are ways pop culture and worldview collide, but we have to say like, is this the best teacher? Yeah. So we can critique it saying like it, it, the kaiju films do teach violence, but like a little more nuanced, but yeah, we do want to kind of say like, Hey, this myth of redemptive violence can even just say the myth of violence, the myth of necessity of violence. Well, I think the myth of redemptive violence is the idea that you can stop violence with violence, right? Is yeah. that you can almost religiousize it. That's not a word, but um, you can purify it by, well, I had good intentions, right? So we think yeah. the idea even of just war, uh, well, if you can follow these examples or these rules, then 
warfare is justified. And it's very strict, right? You know, you can't harm any civilians and this goes on and on and on, which is why there's never been a just war in (laughs) history because it's impossible to follow those standards. But yeah, I think, you know, I've even thought about that talking to Alex here recently. We were talking about the Marvel films, right? And I love the MCU, but I have to sit there and be like, obviously, I don't agree with any of this, the way they're handling any of these issues. I'm like, they're just going in, blowing up people and just punching each other in the face. Like, yeah, that's obviously not the way to handle that. And the MCU can't, does a particularly poor job of it because you find most people say the villain was probably right. And the vill- er, and the heroes use redemptive violence to silence them and then return yeah. things to the status quo. Yeah. <laughs> so... I think Civil War is actually a really good example of that, thinking of Baron Zemo. I mean, he thinks that obviously taking down the Avengers is going to be, you know, his way of redeeming what happened to him and obviously just makes things worse, you know? Poor mm-hmm. Rhodey. That that scene there gets me every time. Every time. Wait, the one where Vision shoots him? Yes. When Vision is the real villain of Civil War? Yes. I love it because they're like, Vision... The hell you shoot War Machine for? It's like, well, he was also trying to shoot someone else in the meantime. So it's like, you were fine if he hit someone on the other side. But since it was his own team, now it's a problem. Okay. But, you know, something they also keep in mind, too, is, you know, I was thinking about it. I was like, you know, does Gabra's pain not matter? Right. So we we think about, you know, why why wouldn't it have not been possible for Ichiro just to stand up for himself and be like, hey, no, I'm not going to let you fight me. You know, but I'm not going to fight you back because realizing, you know, these these kids are roaming on their own. Right. So they're Mm -hmm. not with their families, too. So I've got to think that they're latchkey kids, too. You know, apart from the the girl that was with them, because, you know, you see the mom walking around. But usually kids who form up in gangs like that, it's because their parents are working and they've got to find a community within themselves, too. So, Mm -hmm. yeah, I was just sitting there and I'm like, man, like what would drive Gabra? or whatever his actual name is, to fight other people. And how mean is it for Ichiro to call him Gabra when Gabra is just this big radiated toad? Like, that's how he (laughs) views him. He's like, you're just a toad. You know, so already from the beginning of the film, we see that Ichiro isn't as innocent as we think he is. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah, and I mean, I think Chris kind of said it for me, but this is another reason why I don't rate this film as high as some others it's just because even with my viewing of the film where this is basically honda's justification as to why i create the films that i create even that is complicated by the ending um because you you have to question well was ichiro's monster imagination in the end did it leave him as a better person than when he was than he was Mm -hmm. before and that's that's debatable i think Mm -hmm. yeah yeah, absolutely. I just think, you know, you look at everything and everyone's dealing with some kind of trauma, right? And it's very mm-hmm. easy. You know, what is that Dietrich Bonhoeffer quote? You know, oh God, I've got to Google it now. Um, we must learn to regard people less in light of what they do or admit to do and more in light of what they suffer. Mm-hmm. You know, so all of these people, whether it's the parents or the kids, they're all suffering in a different way and they're just reacting in that pain. So of course it's not right, but I think that's my question in the beginning, though, because it's like, can you really blame any of them? You know, in the situation they're living in, 
with that backdrop you keep coming back to Eric, I mean, yes, it's not a, it's not a sunset, but I'm glad you bring it up. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just that, that is the reality that they live in. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of hard not to imagine their yeah. life being this way. What I love, what I love about the cinematography though, is it's not a sunset. You're right. There are several different times, like in the abandoned uh, warehouse mm-hmm. or is it apartment building that they're in, um, in the abandoned building, there are times where like the sun shines through and there's just a little tint of that, that sunrise or that sunset. And you got to know, I got to give my, Oh, that's a good shot award to one of those <laughs> moments because mm-hmm. I, it is like uh, just a small moment of hope. I think is kind of what it represents to me in the midst of really this contrast between the bright colors of monster Island that he imagines. And it, it is a, a more bleak, um, dull sense in like the real world there's there's a contrast there between the two worlds that i think is is showcased really well in the cinematography Mm -hmm. and occasionally it just bleeds through which which i like Uh, and you see that sometimes in in some of the cinematography i just think it's it's beautiful how how it's done so here's the most important question then what was shinpei watching on his computer Like, was that a live broadcast? Was that just TV? That bothers me to no end because I don't know what that's supposed to be. That's funny. I don't know. (laughs) Yeah, I'm sure someone will know. But I, every time I watch it, I've just been trying to figure that out. I'm like, because either he's super smart and just figured out a way to like have a camera on the moon, or yeah, I don't know. Yeah, (laughs) which is amazing because no one's ever been to the moon in real life. That is very true. It's such a convincing sound stage. Um, hey, so are we going to the conclusion? Because I really need to share my uh, deep theological thought for this episode. You know, I would make room for that. Yeah, I, I've it's Stockholm syndrome at this point. I love it now. <laughs> so you know how Jesus is our great high priest who's gone into death before us, that he could clear the way that in his death we could die with him, but then be raised with him. Sure. In yes. the same way, Minya went before Ichiro into fighting his bully to pave the way for him to be his representative, that he could show him the way toward life and, um, you know, living like the son of Godzilla. <laughs> Please, from now on, just refer to Minya as High Priest Minya. High Priest Minya. <laughs> uh, sacrificing many fans' fandom on the altar. Oh, man. Your, your royal moistness. <laughs> oh. Sorry, I had to work God, that in. If there. we named our episode something other than the name of the movie, royal moistness would have to be it. Oh, boy. All moistness attack. Oh. <laughs> Monsters versus moistness. <laughs> okay, anyway. So, at the end of it, guys, how how... I don't want to do, like, a rating and ranking... But Eric, so how would you view this in light of the other films in this era? And Chris, I want to hear that as well. Like, where would you think you would place this roughly? I know you didn't really prepare a statement. It's really, it's really hard, honestly, just taking all things into consideration. Mm -hmm. Uh, It feels harsh on it, honestly, to to rate it at the bottom. But it is, it is one of my uh, bottom tier Showa era films. Um, not because I think it's poorly made, but just because of a couple issues that we've talked about. 
I think the non-Godzilla scenes are better than the Godzilla scenes. And honestly, if you take the monsters out of this movie, I'd probably enjoy it a little bit more. And that sounds harsh coming from a person with the Godzilla podcast, but <laughs> it's true. Um, sure. But, but, you know, I like it. Honestly, I liked it more this time than I did the first time around. Theo liked it. And, you know, so to me, it, it's doing it's doing its job. Um, if I enjoyed it more this time than I did the first time around. Hmm. But you do have to ask yourself, look, we, we read a lot into this movie. <laughs> Sometimes when you have to read this much into a movie to kind of get something out of it, you, you do have to question, well, how much is there in it when we don't read that much into it? Yeah, fair. <laughs> so it's just something for me that I think about every once in a while. Yeah. What about you, Chris? I might put it a little more favorably, but that was a pretty good critique. Yeah. See, that's my thing is I, I enjoy it without having to read into it. So when I came back in and started watching these movies again, I thought I was going to hate it because I, was, I remember the scenes. I remember Gabra, his, his roar. I remember the kick, 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 right? And it just drove me crazy, the thought of it. And then I came back in. I'm like, no, this is actually really good. I really enjoy it. So I know for me, and there's a few non-Godzilla movies in here, but for our Showa film so far, it's ranked number 10 out of uh, 19 so far. Um, but Godzilla films, it's one, two, three, four. It's actually in fifth, um, right hmm. behind Invasion and then King Kong versus Godzilla. So it's just one of those things where despite what I thought going into it, I actually enjoyed it a lot. And it's just, it's continually warmed up and up to me, um, especially having my son. I mean, he loves this movie too. Um, that's, that's one of those things I've realized is the things I think I hate, if someone else doesn't hate it, I don't know. It's just, it's like the Ewoks, right? People talk about that or Gungans. You know, but as a kid, I loved it. So I don't, I don't feel like I should be obligated to not like it just because I'm an adult. Yeah, totally. No, you're you're just not a true fan anymore, David. I never have been. <laughs> never have been. So, Eric, if you wouldn't mind, um, tell tell our listeners a little bit more about like MVM Plus, where they can find you. Maybe some stuff that uh, if they start listening to you guys, what to expect in the future. I mean, we are Monsters versus Men. Uh, you can find us at mvmpod.com, and there's a link to our Patreon for MVM Plus right over there. Uh, on MVM, uh, just the normal podcast, we cover one movie at a time, one series at a time. Uh, we've made our way through Godzilla. Uh, we're almost, we're getting close to finishing Gamera, and we're still debating where to go with our next series. But on MVM Plus, we really kind of just get into whatever we want to. And it's a good time. Uh, you can find us on Twitter, MVM underscore pod. On Instagram, we're MVM underscore pod as well. I like to engage with people on Letterboxd. My co-host, Alex, is terrible at it. But I like to engage with people. He's terrible. so bad. Well, well he is terrible, terrible. period. <laughs> but he's also terrible at Letterboxd. Uh, but you can find me uh, at Eric Neely on Letterboxd. And I love to engage with people there because again, I came into the Godzilla as a film snob. Well, that's what everyone calls me, but uh, I, I enjoy films from all genres. Uh, so hit me up on there and we could have a conversation just about anything. 
Yeah, I definitely love reading your reviews on there, but it bugs the piss out of me when you say you watch a movie and you don't review it. Like, I'm still waiting for your Gamera Guardian of the Universe review. I'm just sitting here and waiting. <sighs> yeah, and you can't share your thoughts on it yet because that episode nope. won't be out. Um, <laughs> but I've got to ask you, though, how much do I have to pay you to watch Kong Skull Island before you guys discuss? I hate the fact you guys are waiting for Godzilla vs. Kong to watch that because it's my favorite movie in the MonsterVerse. You wouldn't have to pay me too much. I, I'm really wanting to watch it anyway. And I don't know if I can wait till May because it would be like the week before uh, Godzilla, King Kong versus Godzilla. And asterisk, asterisk, asterisk. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. May, asterisk. <laughs> it may come out in May. <laughs> or on uh, HBO Max, one of the two, right? <laughs> I, I, I still think that's going to be the case. I don't know about you guys. <laughs> I'm, and that's what's crazy, right? With Mulan, that's coming out on Disney Plus now. Like mm-hmm. that blows my mind that that's actually happening. Like they're just going to yeah. sink all that money into there. I'm just mm-hmm. worried about having to pay thirty bucks on opening Let's night to watch down, that movie. Disney Plus, <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. expensive. But they did say that if you pay for it, I think you keep having access to it or something like that. Uh, there's there's cool. some interesting stipulations on there, but. uh yeah, I'm definitely really excited to discuss um, Kong Skull Island on this show. I uh, I know when it came out in theaters, I wasn't as into Godzilla then, so I didn't go see it, and I'm really, really bummed because it's a gorgeous film. Um, the The soundtrack's actually really good. I'm not familiar with the composer. It's Henry Jackman. Oh, he's the one who did the Lord of the Rings movies. No. <laughs> no, it is not. Yeah, the director. <laughs> okay, anyway... <laughs> You're thinking of Hugh Jackman. Hugh. Oh, that's right. Okay, yeah. <laughs> oh, boy. Anyway, before anyone else just completely writes us off, uh, Eric, thank you so much for joining us tonight. Yeah, um, thanks for having me. I really appreciate it, guys. It was a real honor for you to be here with us. Super honor. Just like Alex was honored, I'm honored as well. <laughs> so thank you again, everyone, for tuning in to the show. If you like what you heard, if you have a comment you'd like to share, or if you just need to pray for us, <laughs> please make sure to let us know over at our Twitter page. Our handle is Kaiju Apostle Pod, or you can send us an email at contact at the com. You can also follow Chris over on Twitter at Chris Worms, that's W-E-R-M-S. I am noticing that more and more of our followers are following you, Chris, so I'm very, yeah. I'm happy about that. Uh, yeah. What are you watching right now? They're probably all like, what am I following him for, though? <laughs> Uh, yeah, what are you watching Sentai-wise right now? Yeah, so I'm like finally halfway through Gekiso Sentai Car Ranger, which is the one that becomes Turbo, which is different from Sentai Turbo Ranger, which is another car-themed one. <laughs> but Car Ranger is Ka-ching. hilarious. So if you've ever watched any Sentai, you have to watch Car Ranger. Okay. Um, All right. So yes. until next time. May Mothra watch over you, Godzilla empower you, and High Priest Moist Minya bring you joy. And try to stay alive as well. Please, from now on, just refer to Minya as High Priest Minya. <laughs>